Welcome to Pleasant Grove Church, where Reverend Dr. Classy M. Preston is the pastor. A place where the Word of God impacts and transforms your life. Let's listen to a power-packed message already in progress. church. It's a privilege to be with you here this morning. It is sure different from being in church at Pleasant Grove just a few short six or seven months ago. It's really different. But I praise God for the opportunity to be here with you. You know, when Pastor Preston asks you to speak, she always does it with just great conviction. She is so certain that she knows that you have a word to offer. So she came to me and said, I want you to tell the story of why, not Eddie's story, but why Eddie lives in our house. So most of you know, Eddie Mutebi is an orphan from the Agape Children's Village in Uganda. And he came to live with our family in August, three years ago. So I don't know how many of you read the book by Simon Sinek called Start With Why. It's a great premise. If you don't understand the why, you rarely can do your best at the what or the how or the who. So when I started this challenge, began to think about it, I realized I could not answer her question. I spent a lot of time thinking about that, going, I, I don't know what the answer to the why is. I, I don't think we have a story 
and I know I don't have a why. But it's always the case, when you say yes and you start to prepare and you read and you pray and you talk to the other saints that you respect and love and they share a word with you, you come to realize that every time God's giving you an opportunity to learn something, to reflect on something. So here's one of the things I learned really early in this process, that this story for me has been being written all along. And it's still unfolding. I still don't fully know my why, because God hasn't shown me all of that yet. What I do know is that the right answer whenever he calls, whether it's to open our hearts or open our home, should always be yes. So let me give you a little background. I grew up in a very small southern textile town in North Carolina. My high school years in the late 60s, yes, I am that old, the two local high schools in Stoneville, North Carolina, with a population of about 1,000 people, integrated. And you know what that looks like. Two schools, both small schools, fairly similar, clear differences, separated by the railroad tracks. Marilyn Q. Tucker became one of my best friends in high school. That name may not mean very much to you, but some of you might know. She was the assistant basketball coach for the women's uh, basketball team at NC State. She went on to become an award-winning basketball and volleyball coach at the high school level. And now she's the commissioner of the North Carolina Athletic High School Athletic Association. So agree or disagree, she's the person who's making the decisions about high school students participating in sports. Amazing sports person. She was my constant companion in high school. She is absolutely as tall as I am short. She's black, I'm white. It was the late 60s. So I'm one of four daughters of Bill Redman, and the second, most people think I'm the last, I'm not, I'm the second. And I like to say, because it's an easy answer, that my dad was a man of his age. Grew up in a blue collar family. My grandfather was an auto mechanic. He could fix anything. My dad had a third grade education. Really sad, because had he had an education, he could have done anything. What is amazing, though, is he did become the director of public works in Mayadan, which is a town not very far away. An amazing feat for someone with a third grade education, but it was because he could fix anything. He served in the Navy. He served on the plank crew of the USS Wisconsin. He saw action in the Pacific Rim, he came home, had a family, built a house. He was a man of that age and time. And actually, my dad was a pretty simple man. He had very few strong convictions, never in doubt that he was in full control of our family. Didn't aspire to much else in life other than the life he knew and the life he lived. My dad was a racist. We fought about black and white my entire adult life. I cannot tell you how many family trips I went on, how many vacations I stomped off, got in my car, and drove home because I could not tolerate the divide between us and our beliefs and our values. The fights were always focused on words. My dad was simple in what he had to say. But he was also really pretty complex because my dad loved Marilyn Q. Tucker. 
She was always welcome in our house. He drove us to basketball practice and to games. Don't be confused. I have no athletic ability. I was, uh, I was like the towel girl, right, with my really tall friend who was captain of the basketball team and amazing at it. After school, to school, he drove us around. He did whatever we needed. And here was the other thing I could never really fully reconcile. He really cared about her dad, Tuck. And everybody loved Tuck. So Tuck owned the shoe repair store on Main Street in, in downtown uh, what was then Leaksville. It's now called Eden. And I can remember going to town with my dad on a Saturday, going into Tuck's, and realizing my dad did not have a pair of shoes in his hand. He didn't have a belt that needed to be repaired. He wasn't carrying anything in. He just went in to visit with Tuck. They would stand and visit and chat, me impatiently waiting for them to be finished. It was only after some reflection as I got older to realize what that really was about. Really about a mutual relationship of respect and really just a time of fellowship. So over the almost 40 years as an adult with my dad, I tried to change his mind. And one of my sayings to him always was, when it's personal, things change. This personal love and care for Q and Tuck. But he couldn't step away from those core beliefs about what he thought was so different about black and white. We fought about that till two days before he died. Why? I don't know his why. And one of the things I've realized in this time of preparation was that I spent no time trying to understand his why. I did not try to get to understand his heart. What I knew is that we fought over the words he used. So about two weeks ago, the Holy Spirit woke me up in the middle of the night. And he said, by the way, you fought about the words. You actually never saw your dad mistreat anyone. The problem was, you didn't, you didn't do the work. You, you just listened to the words that I was so offended by, but I didn't do anything to understand who he was or to know his heart. So I think the lesson in that for me would be the same in my relationship today with the Lord. Love the words. The words are beautiful and wonderful and reassuring. But am I really doing the work to know his heart? If we want the heart of God, don't we have to know it? Don't we have to spend the time and the work to know it? So back to why. So why was Q my chosen and treasured friend? And why have Kemp and I had black exchange students in our home over the last 30 years? And why do I love little Catherine so much? By the way, she's not very little anymore. I don't know if you've seen her lately. She's 18 now, and she's about this tall. Um, when Pastor called me and said, Martha Opacol needs a place to live, why did we say yes? She came and lived with us until she and Katie got married. I love and treasure the relationship I have with St. Augustine's University and with Shaw University. Last week I got a call about speaking, actually on Friday, about speaking at Dr. McPhail's memorial service to be held. So honored to be able to do that. I treasure that relationship. And of course, it should go without saying, but coming to Pleasant Grove Church changed every single thing in my life. Brought me back to church, brought my husband, our family, and a number of our friends to Christ. 20 years ago, we came here 20 years ago, and it just happened to be a black church. Why? I still don't know. Okay, so back to Eddie. 
So then we get a call from Dirk and Paige. They said, we have these two young men. We know them from the orphanage in Uganda, and they need to go to school, and they need a place to live. And so I said, well, okay, we'll take one of them. And my husband, Kemp, graciously said, why wouldn't we take them both? We have room. We do have three empty bedrooms. And I'm so grateful for him, for his generous heart, and for our other children, Jim, Stephanie, Alex, Sean, Jackson, and Danny. They also welcomed Eddie into our family. And so now we cannot imagine our family without Eddie. And neither can our friends, by the way. Our granddaughters run into our house and they yell, Bibi, Papa, and where's Eddie? Every time. Eddie's had an amazing impact on so many people we know. And I will just tell you, frankly, he's kind of famous in my business circles. A lot of the key business people in Wake County ask me about Eddie every time I see them. So we know that God's transforming our hearts, and it's to be more like him. Because, you see, the real evidence of my faith and my belief is in the way I act. So in Matthew 25, Jesus offers parables. It ends with a description of these amazing acts of mercy that we can all do every day. And they have nothing to do with status or wealth or intellect or race or gender or age. Simple acts freely given and freely received. You notice that Jesus includes his brothers and his sisters. Who, who are they? We know that throughout Scripture, let's be clear, Jesus never had a qualifier for the brothers and the sisters. There's never a limitation. There's never any exclusion. He never said, feed that one, but don't feed this one. Clothe these, but don't pay any attention to those. In Matthew 28, the mission of our church says that we're to go to all nations. No limitations, no exclusions, no qualifiers. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus consistently described our brothers and sisters in the same way. They're all. Jesus' time here, he responded to anyone who called on him, but he came for all, and he loves us all equally. So if he calls us to love in action, what does that mean? Well, the scripture tells us that faith without works is dead. The way we live reflects our heart tells everyone around us who we love and what our attitudes are and really what our values are. What are we really committed to? And God calls us to be obedient to that love. We reflect his love for all when we love all. So again, I'm not sure how my story will be revealed to me, but this I do believe, that Jesus is just continuing day by day to activate my faith. And I thank him daily for his patience. Thank him for his per perseverance that he just keeps coming back and working with me. But I'm clear that we can't be satisfied with a simple profession of faith. We can't talk about our faith. It has to be active. After all, he's done for us all in action. We have to love in action. So back to the why. So, you know, the Bible provides us every answer to why. Jesus told the disciples, and he tells us over and over again, what happens when we're obedient to that call. There are over 33,000 references in the Bible to God's promises. Pretty, pretty strong. So things that are really simple, walk with him daily and expect his presence. Live in his peace. Move in his power. Expect his provision. Enjoy his protection. The why is the easy part after all. 
Because don't we all want those things? So if he's called us to be available, called us to care, called us to love, called us to be like him, we can love like him. It's all active, and we have to be his heart in action. We also need to recognize that even in the very presence of Jesus, hypocrisy existed. Remember the disciples? They didn't really want to go and preach to anybody but the Jews. They, they believed that the Jews surely were the kingdom of God because they were better than everyone else. It was for them. They were God's chosen people. So even though they were the disciples that Jesus taught, he chose, he empowered them, and he sent them out, they still had their own issues. They still had to get over the fact they had to go to the Samaritans, and they had to go to the Syrians, and they had to go to the Ethiopians. So just like my dad, and at times for me and probably for you, we have to call out our hypocrisies. We just, we just need to be honest about them. Because the truth is, we all have them. And if we'll let ourselves call them out, then we can move past them. We can move on to the important thing, which is the obedience, the love and action. So Jesus faced those questions about who to minister and who to preach to. And then we face the why not. Oh, what a human response we have to why not. Let's just say what they are really quickly. Would you take my child? It's really inconvenient. I can't really afford it. What will people say? What if something goes wrong in my family? I don't want to be responsible for someone else. It could have some impact on me that I don't understand today. Well, that's where we lose. We lose the opportunity to be blessed. We get so focused on what we think we're giving up we forget to look at what we might get. You could get an eddy. What if you got an eddy? It's the best thing I could tell you. That should just be your thinking point every day. What if we could get an eddy? He's just asking so little of us, a cup of water. So that gets us back to the promise and the blessings that come with the promises. So I'm clear that my story of wise still coming along. I know I have to be a lot clearer about my why not, wrong why nots, those are just excuses. But then I got to the why not that's on the other side of that. So let me just share a couple of scriptures with you about why not. Proverbs 21, 13, we should hear and be generous. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. It's interesting, God attaches a intention, our intention, when we don't respond to the needs of others. So all those things we fabricate as an excuse, the Lord calls a willful closing of our ears. We don't hear the cry of others. So in the same way that he gladly pays us when we're generous, he will recognize when we are selfish. Proverbs 22.9, we should expect the Lord's generosity. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed. For he shares his bread with the poor. You know, many people live with a real sense of deficit and deficiency. How many times do you hear, well, there's not enough to go around. If you don't get yours, somebody else is just going to get your share. Well, those are the attitudes that keep us from being generous. How can you be generous when you think that way? But you know, how many times have we heard Reverend Julie Bell use this scripture, Psalms 50:10? that we serve a God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. So he's promised us 
that if we will be open-handed with what he's given us, he'll repay us. He has said so. He has promised. Matthew 10, 42. Here's a great why not. God keeps track of our giving. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water. You know how many times in Scripture Jesus refers to the cup of water? I'm so proud of our church for digging those wells in Uganda and just thinking about that little cup of cold water. Truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So again, we see the relationship between how we treat the needy and the vulnerable around us and our future reward. And we know that the Lord is keeping an account. It says so. Even a little cup of water given in his name will be recorded. And then John 3.16, love gives, period. It almost doesn't even need to be said. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Is it any wonder that the verse in the Bible that speaks most to what we get in the gift of Jesus Christ is tied to the generosity of our God. God loved, God gave. Pretty simple formula for how we should live. 1 John 3, 16 through 18, we should give like Christ. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Our generosity should model our Savior's selflessness. He gave his life for us. We should be willing to do the same. And it's not enough to talk about love. It has to be expressed. It has to be in generous giving. So now, you know, we get to the easy part of why. We figured that out why. Because he says so. It's clearly his model. He's told us the why over and over again. He loves us. He's called us to love others. The why nots? The why nots? We have no excuse. We have no reason to hold on to our hypocrisies. We have to call them out. We have to be honest about them and recognize them because that's how we get them out of the way. We want to get to the why not that says, why not? Why wouldn't I do this? Because our Christian life is rooted in love. Love is a prerequisite for discipleship in Christ. Scripture tells us that if we claim to love God and to walk in the light, but we hate a brother or sister, we're lying. You can't hate a brother or sister. That's just the darkness. When people wonder about our Christian identity, they look at the church, they see our hypocrisies. They see that we don't do what we say. So I'm going to say again, the why for me, Pastor, I still can't really answer because I haven't seen it all yet. God is still unfolding what my life will be like and what those answers will look like. So I just want to ask you to think about your why. Think about the why nots that get in your way, the why nots that might come in the future, and then ask the why not. Why wouldn't we? So I'll leave you with this best why not question. Why not live a life of active faith through giving and serving? Change your why not 
from no and expect the miracles. Expect his matchless peace and his abiding presence. and Claim his promises. After all, you might get an eddy. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Let's praise God for Sister Billy Redmond and that word. Yes, yes. Eliminate the why nots. God's unconditional love. And when we serve, we got that message. Thank you. Thank you for that message. Amen. Thank you again.